Welcome to Season 2, Episode 23 of the Centennial Podcast. And on this week's episode, we're super excited to be joined by Graham Nichols. I'm sure many of our listeners will know who Graham is, but if you need an introduction, Graham has been writing for The Athletic, The Ottawa Citizen, uh, The Six Ends, and now he has his own blog that you can check out uh, called Rome in a Day. So uh, love the play off the original headline after The Sens won their first game in modern history. So it was really cool. And uh, thanks for joining us, Graham. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the input. You've been on Sense Twitter for what feels like forever. I think you were probably one of my first <laughs> Sense Twitter follows a long time ago. Uh, so you've always really made your voice heard on matters surrounding the team. And even though you have, like, uh, I find for me anyway, a vastly different viewpoint, I like to follow that because it gives me a different perspective on things. And so we'll kind of we'll get into some of the more nitty gritty things that have happened recently, as I'm sure you can guess uh, what we'll get into. But let's start off with a positive. Troy Mann re-signed with the Senators for two years. And, you know, he's the kind of guy who has been great for the Senators' development of their young players. And so I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts right off the bat about him staying with the organization for at least two more years. Yeah, I think it's huge. Obviously, uh, one of the big things for this organization is stability. Uh, And I think, like, anyone who's followed this team for the past... I don't know, 15 years would say that there hasn't been a lot of stability, uh, especially with the coaching staffs. That uh, it seems like whenever something goes wrong, it's always the coaching staff uh, at, at either level that kind of pays the price for it. And, you know, like man's been with the organization for a few years now. I think he's had his fingerprints on, on the development of a lot of the players who've, who've come through the system. And um, you, you just listen to the players and then they just describe him uh, with a lot of superlatives. He's just a really good coach. And, uh, you know, he just loves the game. And if you ever listen to any of his interviews, like he can literally talk your ear off for an hour just about the nuances of the game and, and just his, his his love of the game and helping players reach that next level. So to keep that guy in, in the loop is huge for this organization. And it's a two-year deal. It's not a very long term. But I think, you know, like if DJ Smith, I don't really want to talk about the negatives, but like if DJ Smith is ever relieved of his duties over the next little bit, I think Troy Mann's probably um, one, of the, one of the most logical candidates to replace him. That's actually a perfect segue because I was going to ask you, like, is this kind of one of those contracts that could be, you know, a potential replacement for DJ Smith? Um, not saying DJ Smith's been awful. I'm just saying that the possibility is there that, you know, man has seen so many of these guys come through the system. Uh, would it be a possibility that he becomes head coach at the end of that contract? Yeah, I think for sure. And I, I kind of like the wrinkle of what happened with Jack Capuano over the offseason is, is another kind of dynamic that I don't think anybody was really anticipating uh, by not allowing the interview for the head coaching position in Buffalo. I don't even know, like, had he been made available, I don't know whether Capuano would have been a logical first choice for the organization, but it, like, who knows? You never know. So they're keeping Jack Capuano on the fold. Maybe he's a prospective candidate if, if DJ Smith is ever relieved of his duties. But uh, for me, I think like Troy Mann's paid his dues. Like, he's played, or sorry, he's played, he's, he's coached in the AHL for a very long time and he's had, he's had success he's had success with the Hershey Bears who are you know historically one of those um, veteran laden uh, AHL squads that pays for good veteran players to come in and he's won with that kind of style and he's also won with a with a really young and dynamic team that uh, Belleville's put in the fold uh, like two years ago so he, he's shown that he's flexible and he can do it different ways. And I think if you look at Ottawa's young roster, I think it's encouraging that you have a guy like that in the system who could step up and hopefully coach these guys maybe someday down the road. I remember when, uh, when Ottawa did end up signing him, um, I think he was with Hershey for like four or five years. And you always heard 
glowing reviews about him. And I mean, we we had just lost, you know, Luke Richardson to other teams and, and assistant coaching gigs. And then they brought back Kurt Kleinstort and that went terribly. So they, you know, they wanted a little bit of stability in, in Troy Mann and he's clearly given it to them. Um, uh, I, as you said, you can listen to him interview for however long. Uh, he he knows what he's talking about. And it's it's really cool hearing him talk about the prospects that he has coached, uh, especially, you know, most recently, uh, Josh Norris, uh, when he was on the Wally and Mathot show and they asked him, do you see him as a, a number one center? And he said, well, you know, last year I saw him as a, a 2C tops, but then seeing what I, I saw this year, I definitely believe he can he can do that. And I, I, I really think it's an awesome... Um, uh, like a really awesome thing to s- see from uh, from a coach uh, having that faith, and and I would have no problem having Troy Mann uh, sort of come up if uh, DJ Smith did, you know, get relieved of his duties. But I want to sort of go back to the uh, the the wrinkle that we talked about uh, earlier with Jack Capuano, um, and that sort of starts the uh, the negative news. But uh, you know. It it came out that it was he was blocked from going to interview for the uh, the head coaching uh, job and in in Buffalo and you know what to be fair I think they did him a favor but that's that's just me uh, <laughs> um, but I saw that uh, you know you wrote a, a really good blog post about. Uh, the situation, but you know, for those listening that who may not have read it, uh, what were your initial thoughts when you heard that? You know, you know what we're discussing this as a negative. It doesn't really have to be a negative. I know. I think just looking from the individual's perspective, from Capuano's perspective, like he wants to be a head coach in the league yeah. again, right? Like I, I think ultimately that's his goal. Like I think he took that uh, job with Team USA at the World Hockey Championships to like boost his profile, get him in the public eye a little bit more than he than he is as an assistant in Ottawa. And you know, out of fairness to him, I think like yeah, I, I'm sure he wants to interview for that job selfishly because he wants to coach again, make more money, and and have that kind of opportunity. That's why you get into coaching; you want to do it at the highest level. But uh, if just from a positive perspective, maybe it's just Ottawa really liked what he brought to the table, and selfishly they just want to keep him in the fold. Like it doesn't have to be a negative. Um, obviously, you know. Uh, anyone at that level who's involved in the game is really competitive and Capoano probably just wants that opportunity and he might not have even gotten the job, but to like deny the guy the opportunity to, to go out there and, and, you know, it's not a lateral move. It's, it's a vacancy for a head coaching position probably. Um, and you know, it, it, to deny him that opportunity, it's kind of been like, it, it's just one of those kind of old un, un, unsaid things where it's just you kind of let guys have that kind of upwards mobility with another organization if an opportunity presents itself. So to deny him that, uh, it just really sucks for Capilano. But I think, you know, and I'm talking about this situation being a positive with Capilano, like it made the sense really like him, but it is a blanket policy that apparently they've been employing for years. So that's kind of like the strike that goes against it. So even if you give them the benefit of the doubt, that's that's just a little bit frustrating. And, you know, I, I think if you look at Ottawa's Coaches, coaches, staff, front office. You know, it, they are small. They're probably some of the most. Um, they're some of the least expensive uh, candidates out there. Uh, they're not paid as high as many of the other, uh, many of their peers around the league. So, you know, if you're not going to pay them as as much as other organizations around the league, and you're going to deny them the opportunities to to go 
upwards and, and get better jobs. Um, not necessarily better organizational jobs, but like head coaching positions. Like, you know, to deny them that, it, it kind of sucks. And I, I, the concern for me would be like, you know, like people talk all the time about how hard it, it is for an organization like Ottawa to attract good candidates. And if this is the policy that's become kind of like publicly known, if, if that's the policy that they're going to employ, it may be even harder to get better candidates applying. And I think that kind of rings true too when you look at the vacant or I don't know, no longer existing. Oh, the POHO? Uh, yeah, the <laughs> president of hockey ops, right? Like Ottawa talked or at least released a statement that they were searching for it and then nothing came of it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, speaking to, to your point about the whole future coaching candidates, that's kind of another thing in the back of my mind, which is like, you know, you're locking in Troy Mann for a couple of years. He seems like the obvious guy. It's like, hmm, first chance in the NHL. You trust him. You know, his brother is on your amateur scouting staff. It seems like a very reasonable assumption to see that you could pay low for a guy who you have high faith in and you really like their coaching style. And like we were talking about, is a great interview. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely... You know what? I think there's another dynamic to that as well, right? Like DJ Smith needs a new contract. And all of a sudden, if DJ Smith has a really good year with the Ottawa Senators, like down the stretch last year, Ottawa played really well. They were playing their young kids. They're like kind of starting to build a little bit of momentum. Fans are starting to rally behind them. And then, you know, you get the whispers of, well, like maybe we could compete for a playoff spot next season. I think like if DJ Smith gets the Senators within a sniff of the playoffs next season, like he has all the leverage in the world when it comes to contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know what his aspirations are. Maybe he wants to stick around long-term and see this through um, until they win or until he gets fired or, or what have you. But, you know, we just saw we just saw how much uh, attention was being given to Rob Brindamore for the season that he had in Carolina. And, you know, there were teams looking at Chops at the opportunity to talk to him and negotiate contract with him. So, you know, next summer, it could be TJ Smith that we're talking about as, as a prospective free agent on the market for coaching. And I uh, I think another point about the, like, if there's a possible coaching search, like how many of those guys are probably going to be internal candidates? Um, I just like, I can't imagine with everything that's just like consistently going on in Ottawa. And then, you know, if there is this blanket thing, how, how like they're just going to be looking at their assistant coaches and maybe <laughs> like their AHL head coach. Uh, it's, it's, it's pro- it's a little frustrating, especially. I mean, uh, remember a couple years ago when uh, you know there were some legitimately good coaching candidates available. I mean, Bruce Bruce Boudreau was the guy that everybody wanted, and then we went with the arguably much cheaper and did for sure bring us to a a conference final in Guy Boucher. But it's it's always just sort of frustrating that we don't see. Uh, names like that, especially with with the talent that that is on the team, so it 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 would be interesting to see if this has any effect on on external candidates being brought in. And just going back, like over the years, I think that's always been kind of like the mo. Going back to like John Paddock, he was brought in; he was an assistant coach. Corey Cluston was an NHL coach. Yeah. Um, Dave Cameron. Um, you, you know, you just put on a list. Coach. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> like there's always a connection. There's always a connection, and. Uh, it just seems what 
that's what they're most more inclined to do. And I don't know if that's a money thing. That could be like a cynical thing to say, but uh, I don't know if it's just a money thing or if it's just like they, you know, they want some familiarity with the coaches. They want to build a rapport um, between ownership and and management and whoever's taking the helm next. But yeah, it certainly seems like whenever a coach is relieved of their duties, they certainly look internal first before looking external. And the extra, I think, uh, an external hire that's probably possible is uh, maybe UND's head coach. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, like moving on from that, uh, you know, today was quite the day for uh, Sens news, especially uh, alumni, um, and that being, you know, Chris Phillips resigned from the organization. Uh, and this was apparently, according to Elliot Friedman, after the organization let go of Brad Weir the director of Senators Community Foundation, who has been with the organization for quite some time now, but was just sort of put into this position recently. Um, I got to hear your thoughts on this one. So here's my take. Based off what Elliot Friedman said in, in his tweet, and yeah, I'm, this is me paraphrasing, and I, you know, I, I tweeted this out earlier tonight. Um, based off what Elliot Friedman tweeted out, my understanding is that Brad Weir was let go by the organization and Chris Phillips had no idea. He either had no idea that it was happening or he wasn't consulted and had no say in the matter. And for Chris Phillips to resign because one of his employees got sacked or relieved of his duties, uh, I, I think it speaks to the character and leadership and accountability of Chris Phillips. Like that's, yeah, that's that's going above and beyond, and showing how much how much you care for this individual. I, I think that speaks volumes. First of all, um, but turn back the clock a year, right? Like the organization is <laughs> yeah. splitting ways. The organization is splitting ways because they're not getting along well with the Sense Foundation. Brad Weir was employed for the Sense Foundation for years, years, and worked his ass off and, and did a great job. I think if you look around the Senator's online community, you're seeing a lot of people who had uh, uh, ties to him and corresponded with him regularly to raise money for certain initiatives and stuff. And they, and they just, you know, they... they're they, speak volumes about how, how great of a character this guy is and how much he cares about uh, hockey and his community and, and everything else. So you split ways with the Sands Foundation. Somehow you talk Brad Weir in a stank. I don't know if they, if, I don't know if they use loyalty or what, um, but he's spearheading this new foundation that's being led by Chris Neal and Chris Phillips, with Chris Phillips being the executive director. You have a year where you're not bringing in a ton of revenue because of the pandemic. And less than a year later, after you convince this guy to stay out of loyalty, you're you just relieve him of his duties before things become normal again in the fall. Like, and I think, uh, like, executive director is generally like the top person, and this is a whole different branch of the senators. And this, as you said, he was either not aware of this, and or or they just did it. So that that to me is or, like they, or alternatively, like Chris Phillips could just be like the public face of the organization while Brad's doing a lot of the uh, legwork yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I just think it's wild that they you know the separate branch of the Ottawa Senators that really probably shouldn't be involved as a like it's it's a not for profit uh, as a charitable organization. They just come in and say snip and you're gone and. That's, and how many that's times? Wild. How many times have you heard of a professional sports organization and one of the major sports leagues in North America stopping the charitable arm of the organization? When have you that's, ever heard of that happening? That's crazy. 
like I can't think uh, of that ever happening. I've never heard of that no. happening. And and to like this is this is the community part of the Ottawa Senators. This is you are the Ottawa Senators living in the city of Ottawa, which is a community. And you are now stopping the funding and the fundraising and all of this to a charity. That looks terrible. And that like <laughs> but you have an owner who is now like who how many times or how many lawsuits does he have going on right now? Six, four, five? Uh, like, he, I, I don't get it. I just don't know how you could spin this. It's, no. <laughs> I, like, I have no I Like, I, I've seen him try to spin stuff before. I'm sure we'll get some spin coming out of the Ottawa Sun or... or That dude from the through, Hockey News. Through, <laughs> through, <laughs> through an editorial in the Hockey News. Post Media could do another editorial. Saying that um, maybe this is Jim Watson's fault. I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it's frustrating, right? Because it seems like every time it seems like every time that there's goodwill, there's like positive momentum and something like it feels like good stuff's building. And like you look at the kids, you look at how much enthusiasm and how much people care for this like next wave of talent coming through the system. Uh, you see how much like people care about hockey in this city, and they care about the young players who are coming through. And you know we've seen a lot of good talent leave this organization over the last fifteen years, and you don't want to see the young talent come through fall to a similar fate. Like yeah, like the city of Ottawa just deserves better, and it's just every every few months there's just some PR nightmare that just hits the organization, and it's it doesn't seem to be improving. It's just like death by a thousand cuts, like nothing's getting better. Like, yeah, you're getting a bunch of young players coming onto the team. And I wrote about this in one of my most recent pieces. It's like all this good stuff can happen on the ice. And and yeah, maybe you are doing some really good things with, with who you're identifying for young talent. But like, if you can't, if you can't get management and ownership to, to just reel it in a little bit and, and be better, like you're going to do a lot of the good work that you actually are doing. And, and yeah. You know, there's a number of people, like a lot of people still care about the organization, but, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people, they've tuned out and, you know, they're, and they're just despondent. They, they just want apathy is set in. And, and until ownership moves for a lot of these people, um, until Melnick moves on or, or what have you, like they're, they're not coming back until he's gone. And that's, that's sad. That's a reflection of hockey. And, and you know, I was looking at uh, John Rodenberg from TSN 1200 had a tweet this afternoon. It says, what does this say about an organization when the two guys whose numbers you've raised to the rafters are no longer affiliated with the organization? By their choice. Nothing to do with you now. Yeah, by their choice. Both have walked away. Daniel Offerson has walked away twice and was lured (laughs) back by Brian Murray. And he left shortly thereafter. Like, Chris Phillips couldn't last a year with him. Yeah. And Daniel Offerson tried and he he couldn't do it. And I I think that speaks volumes. And, you know, I think Ottawa can have success in the city. And I think they can even have success under this owner. But... You know, they've got to they've got to fix what's going on. It's just I don't know if I see a willingness from ownership to do that. It's just it's his way or the highway, and that's kind of just how he's running it. And I was going to talk. Oh, (laughs) I was going to no. I was going to kind of point out, like you, you know, we brought up Daniel Alfredson now, and I was going to say, you know, yeah, Alfredson left. Uh, You have now Chris Phillips leaving, but do you guys remember when the Sens hired Chris Kelly? To be like yeah. a, a, on the training staff, and then he <laughs> left be, for family reasons, and literally like two weeks later, got a job with the Bruins. That's and everyone wild. was like, um, 
Like, but meanwhile, you still see him like driving past Britannia Coffee House or something. (laughs) Like, you're like, wait, 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 you're still here. What are you doing? You know, like, uh, oh, uh, I don't get it. And then you know, you have the owner publicly going on on talk radio, (laughs) tell people what the senators are going to be doing. How many owners do that? None. Like, other than maybe Mark Cuban. (laughs) <laughs> but like, I, I just, I, it's mind boggling. <laughs> but I think it, it, there, there's a certain cachet that you get for being an NHL owner, right? Like Melnick's from Toronto. Uh, Bob McCowan is like the preeminent or was for a long time, the preeminent sports radio personality in the country, not just Toronto, but the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's, that's, that's a platform that Melnick is just drawn to because it's, it's a status thing. And and he uses that, and he just he he voices his opinions on that station all the time, uh, or on that program all the time with Bob McCown, and he'll say whatever he wants. Bob will keep having him on because he's entertaining, and people tune in because you have no idea what Melick is going to say next. And, and that's, you have headlines because of it, yeah. So people, and it's just Bob's it's happy. A, it's <laughs> just a, the machine that feeds itself, and the ratings yeah. go up, and. And you know, you look at you look at the rapport that Melnick has with the reporters in the city. And aside from Bruce Garriock, he just doesn't have a relationship with any reporter in the city. And everybody kind of understands why, and nobody really talks about it. But that's just that's the way the city. That's the way the media in the city has. has it's that's just the way it is right now. And it's sad. It's it's just a sad reflection for the last like six years. We have too many Bush League reporters in this city. Yeah. <laughs> that, don't, that, tell, that, don't tell Ian. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Like, Ian loves us. We have Ian on. We've had him on a couple of times. He knows I saw Ian at the golf course uh, like last <laughs> month. I approached him. I was like, hey, you've been on my podcast twice. He he was shocked. He was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and then, Who are uh, you guys you again? Know, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, please, sir, get off my lawn. Uh, yeah. You know, I just uh, I I think you like he's alienated a lot. No, not Ian Mendez. Uh, <laughs> we're going Eugene Melnick. He's alienated a lot of people in in the city, and uh, you know we're still waiting for that Cape Crusader that is Daniel Alfredson and the money backed of like $600 million ownership group that was supposed to buy this team five years ago. <laughs> and I don't know if that's ever going to happen. You know, like we've, <laughs> we've been talking about this. It feels like everybody's been talking about Melnick moving on for the past like eight years, nine years. Yeah. And, it's, and to me, it's kind of like turning into the boy who cried wolf where it's like, oh, this is going to happen. For sure, it's going to happen now. Um, Vegas expansion money, he, that's all he wants. He's going to he's gonna sell the team shortly thereafter because the franchise value is going to go through the roof. Seattle expansion money, okay, once once they get to Seattle, you know, it, TV, television revenues are crazy. You know, they just signed an ESPN deal. Um, there's financial windfall with all these things. And, you know, like there's no reason for Melnick to get out. Like it's an investment. He's sitting on an investment for as long as he can. And then it's just going to keep accruing value. Unless like, unless Melnick has no liquidity and he's forced to sell because his other investments are, aren't doing well. Like I, I have a hard time believing that he's going anywhere. And I think... Uh, you know, unless unless someone intervenes, the league intervenes, it does whatever and says, okay, you've you've done enough damage, you've got to go and forces him to sell. I don't know. I don't know if that's a possibility. It doesn't seem like something Gary Batman's comfortable doing. But um, I'm just I'm it, to me, it's it's you can't really talk about like hashtag Melik out and stuff. It's more like it's gotten to the point where I think Ottawa just deserves better, and it, it has nothing to do with Melnick. I think like 
this team can be successful under him. It's just a matter of he's got to recognize that he's got to change his behavior a little bit. But I think he might be too stubborn to do that. And it's going to be his way or the highway. And we're just going to have to live with it. Well, and and uh, you would think that Toronto PR firm would, you know, actually tell him to do things the proper way. But I can just imagine he hired them just so he could be like, like, confirmed in what he's thinking and and that's what's frustrating like you're you can't teach a an old dog new tricks and and he's that guy you know and, and he's not going to change and i think you're right about that i think if you look at the number of like ceos and other c-level executives who come through the organization that they've just blown through for the last number of yeah. years um the people who are gone are the people who tried to help him change you know, like Jim Little. Jim Little made uh, some pointed comments about how you know this is this is on him, and where's Jim Little now, right? So, I think it's just a matter of you kind of just have to stomach what we have as fans, and and just brace for the next the next thing, right? Like everything kind of passes over time, and it's just until something changes. I, I just it's just a cycle, right? And, and it's just hard to break. You're just along for the ride, but hopefully it pays off. And you know, like Ottawa. To the organization's credit, like they've had success, right? They've had moments of success. Like 2017 was awesome. 2000 Stanley Cup final was awesome. Um, they were a goal away uh, from the Eastern Conference final a, a few short years ago. And, you know, that like there there are those moments where the team can have success. I think they can have success under Eugene Melnick. It's just that um, you're going to have to stomach a lot of these, a lot of these headlines and just news blips and, and what have you. It's just, it's part of the package. And for better or worse, you just kind of have to stomach it until he's gone. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think we'll we'll kind of segue into some more fun talk, <laughs> all about the speculation of uh, because of Melnick's comments about the whole search and destroy for <laughs> a first line center and a uh, top four defensive defenseman. Um, that gave Sense fans a lot of material to work with, and you know anything from Giroux to Eichel to Monahan to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Deneau, and I could go on and on. Right? Uh, we've talked about so many of these guys, but you know, with all this trade talk coming up, potential for free agency signings. Do you see anyone that the Senators? I guess it would be a good fit for the team, and they'd be willing to kind of hand out some money or the assets to bring that player in. It's a it's a great question, and um, you know, like I think the Senators brought in some talent last year when nobody was really expecting it. Like Evgeny Dadnov was one of the better mm-hmm. at the time, anyways. He was one of the better better guys on the market, and the Senators acquired him just simply because they had a lot of cap space, but willing to pay what he wanted. And you know, with the flat cap system that's that's in place right now, a lot of teams are pressed up against the cap ceiling, and Ottawa kind of took advantage of that. And I think that stage that same scenario could exist this summer and you know there are some big uh, big name guys who are probably looking for a lot of term uh guys like nugent hopkins dougie hamilton's another name that would be a great ad but like are those guys realistic um you know are they going to want to come to ottawa and i i think that's kind of where it gets a little bit murky and you you don't really have an idea uh, of what these guys are looking for but i think you know if ottawa if Ottawa targets, uh, you know, a first or second line center to to improve their depth down the middle, in case like a guy like Shane Pinto is not ready to contribute right away, um, 
you know, it, it, it's it's essentially a situation where you just hopefully they just don't overpay, whether it's through trade or on the free agent market. And they just have one of those bad contracts that could kick the team's ass in like three, four, five years out uh, just for a short-term fix. Like maybe Shane Pinto by the end of the season, we'll be talking about him the same way that we were talking about Josh Norris this year. It's just he's just a bit of an unknown because he hasn't played that many games at the NHL level so far. So... I, I certainly don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Pinto could step in and play, you know, good, capable minutes as a second line center this year. It's just you kind of have to afford him that opportunity and uh, hopefully he takes the ball and runs with it. But I think he's there's enough offensive talent to, to have a guy like Pinto pan out and, and turn into that guy. It's just it, it could just be one of those situations where wait, situations where they go and target like a veteran guy, kind of the same way that they targeted Derek Stepan last year, and you know they they had. They had visions of that guy playing top six minutes for them, being that steady, reliable uh, veteran presence in the lineup. But um, he ultimately didn't turn into that. But maybe they have the same kind of aspirations this summer. Yeah, for sure. I think they they probably want, like I think Dorian tipped his hand a little bit, not as much as Melnick, but that they wanted <laughs> to bring in a player that could actually contribute, right? Uh, so the shade of that. I think was hilarious. Like, yeah, we're looking at you, step on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was kind of a yikes. And and I think good Branson, you know, he's if that guy seems like a great character dude. And I understand, yeah. you know, he's got ties to the area. They did the same thing with, you know, Mathot and uh Broussard, right? Uh yeah, I guess I'm talking about non-drafted players, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um yeah, like they definitely focused on intangibles last offseason. I think like I wrote about it, the bread wrote about that recently too where it's just like they focused on intangibles i don't think they had um you know playoff aspirations so yeah you're you're acquiring about a bunch of veteran uh characters who can you know look guys we're, we're doing stuff in the off season but they're not going to really move the needle much right like they still want that top 10 pick that they wound up getting and then they wound up flipping a few of these assets more draft picks towards the deadline and i think if they you know if they start targeting a top four defenseman if they start targeting uh, a guy who can play in the top six or top three lines um that's that's just going to raise the expectations right and and that's that's the one thing that the organization is going to ha- kind of have to deal with i think maybe being a little bit more patient this season you know they haven't played a full 82 game slate and it'll be like two years and you don't really know how this this group of players, this collection of players that you have on the roster, is going to fare against the rest of the league. It's not just the North Division now. It's going to be how you know maybe use this season as as an opportunity just to assess these guys a little bit longer, see what you have, see if a Jacob Bernard Docker can play and maybe fill a role. Um, Jake Sanderson is going to be coming into the lineup at the end of the season once his uh, NCAA career is done at, uh, Deco- at North Dakota. So, like, there's going to be young guys that they can integrate and, and give an opportunity to. But um, my my biggest concern is that they just overspend on a guy who's really not going to move the needle that much. Um, and you know, he it's just going to be another one of those situations where you might just have a guy whose contract could come back and kick your ass in a couple of years when like the young talent moves on from their entry-level deals and, and needs a more expensive contract. Yeah. I, I do think, though, what benefits the Senators is, you know, like last offseason, right? Flat cap. Uh, they weren't one of those teams that was pressed up against the cap. They had the same situation this year. They could potentially go out and get a guy who is going to be asking for less this summer because they're not going to get as much, right? Like, mm-hmm. look at Taylor Hall. Uh, he's a guy who got a one-year contract. That's 
I, I know there's a lot of uh, concern about different parts of his game, but ultimately he's a very effective forward. Look at how he played uh, it, with Boston once he was traded there, right? He was almost yeah. a point per game to finish out the season. I know playoffs, <laughs> he wasn't exactly the same level, but uh, you know, this year, a guy like Dougie Hamilton, I feel like he could be making, and this is my own opinion, but I feel like he could be making almost Carlson Dowdy money uh, if this was a regular year with the caps going up. But I think this year, I've seen people talking about him, like, you know, uh, Sean Simpson and, uh, and Jer on the radio, they're talking about him potentially getting like eight or nine million. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, this is the kind of guy that I would expect would get a $10 million contract at seven years or whatever on the open market, we're talking about potentially 2 million less than that. Um, so it might be the kind of year where the senators are able to take advantage of free agency. And I don't want them to bring in like a bunch of different players like they did last year. I mean, I think Austin Watson worked out well, uh, picking up Victor Mete on waivers worked out great in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, like if they can make one ad in free agency with that, that cap space they have and take advantage of the situation, then I think that could be beneficial to them. It just depends, like you said, on if they target that right player who fits the mold of what the team needs. Yeah, and I think they can totally leverage that in the sense that maybe they can offer like short-term deal. Maybe they can offer a one or two-year deal to a guy and overpay um, in value now while the team isn't really spending a lot of real dollars on some of the young players, right? Like you can go out and you can spend a $6 million on a Taylor Hall for a year or, you know, uh, one of the other top defensemen um, just to, just to help boy the matter. And then, you know, in a year's time you can, you can renegotiate or maybe if Ottawa doesn't have a good season or they're riddled with injuries or what have you, they can use that asset at the deadline and, and get some more value there. But um, I, I, I think preferably I'd like to see them either focus on finding like more young talent guys who are like 24, 25, 26. Um, you know, maybe like Dylan Strom, who's had some productive years in Chicago, who's Thank just, you. you know, like, yeah, like Bruce Garriak wrote about him recently, like when he was listening, reeling off like the centers that could be available. And, uh, it, you know, I, I'd rather see the organization focus on a reclamation project like that who's young, it could fit with the young core and maybe give the organization a good year or two, maybe pump and dump that value, or maybe he just winds up being better than people are giving him credit for and he turns into something. Yeah. Um, I, I'd rather see the organization focus on that than go out and get like a Nazem Kadri. Uh, who's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Although he's like good and I like the way he plays. Like he's an edgy, he's, you know, he toes the line and he crosses yeah. the line quite a bit, but he's one of those like two-way dynamic players who can who can help teams. And you know, I, I think just at this stage of where the senators are at, I think they you know, I, I think probably just focus on more realistic ads and trying to shoot for the moon. Cause I don't know, you know, all things considered, I just don't know unless the senators grossly overpay for a lot of these guys. I just have a hard time believing that a lot of guys will really have Ottawa high on their uh, desirable markets to come to list. Yeah. I know other Matt loves Strom. So I've, he... I've been preaching this whole Dylan Strom thing for like a year and a half. Yeah. And then I forgot about it. And then it was brought up recently. <laughs> and I was like, this totally makes sense. Like once again, it, it definitely makes sense. The guy has, has that top six center upside. His, his value has been low for the past year and a half with Chicago. They, I, I remember hearing rumors from Elliot Friedman saying, you know, the Chicago is looking to move Dylan Strom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a guy like that, he's, he's 23, 24. Um, and he, he can fit into a lineup and, you know, it just he might not be able to uh, skate like the wind or anything, but the, his his hockey IQ and like passing ability is is there, and having him play, uh, you know, second line to uh, a 
you know, Jimmy Stutzla and, and uh, if it's uh, Dodonoff or if it's Connor Brown, uh, that could be a very interesting line. And you're probably giving up Max a second round pick. I yeah. can't see them or maybe giving up like Morgan. Logan Brown and something else. Like, exactly. You, know, and, you don't know what his market is, right? And, yeah. Yeah. But I, I like going back to the point, like you mentioned Jack Eichel earlier being available. And it's like, you know, like Sean Monahan was mentioned as well. And it's like, I, you know, like Sean Monahan has, is coming off like two really bad offensive seasons. But I think like he's one of those dangers where our risks, where it's like you're probably going to overpay for past production for a guy who's not really a good defensive player anyway. So if the offense isn't there, you risk overpaying for diminished production, which, you know, I think those are the kind of trades that, that have that killed this organization over the past like number of years, right? Like you're just not getting the good return value for what you're giving up with your opportunity cost. You know, whether that's a Bobby Ryan deal, a Matt Deshane trade, uh, or what have you. It's just, those are like the kind of, deals that that has just sunk Ottawa and Pierre Dorian. And I hope he's learned from that mistake and they target some different kind of players or else just maybe they tell the line, just be a little bit more patient, give the, afford the kids another developmental year. And then maybe look at next summer as a summer where they really start loading up on more talent. And I think Reinhardt is also an interesting option. Yeah, he is for sure. Yeah. I think with the assets, the centers would have to give up for Eichel. It's, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily want to do that, but for Reinhardt, I feel like it would be a lot less that you'd have to table to bring a guy like him in. Now, will Buffalo have the same standard of uh, or same uh, interest in trading him to Eastern Conference? Like I know Eichel, they totally want to get him out of the Eastern Conference, and I get that. I don't think they'd have the same like care, I guess, for Reinhardt. Uh, I mean, divisional opponent, fine, but it might be easier for the centers to pry a guy like that off of the team you know, someone who is performed well, but they've been shadowed maybe in their team and and want to get out and change the scenery and shine somewhere else. Yeah, and Reinhardt's a great two-way player. So that would kind of fit with uh, what Ottawa's doing with the top six, right? They want guys who can play both ends of the ice and play hard. Um, so like he, he would be a great ad for Ottawa for sure. So kind of going off of that, uh, I wanted to head into a question that kind of affects the centers because of how successful Montreal's done. You know, does that also kind of impact what the Senators should be doing this offseason? Because you look at a team like Montreal, they had a lot of those veteran players who, you know, you see, you think are like more slow and kind of fading out of the game. And then they inject this youth and now all of a sudden they could potentially be going to the Stanley Cup final. So does that impact what Pierre Dorian does this offseason? It's funny. It's almost like a microcosm of Ottawa's season, right? Like they start off with a bunch of like crappy veterans who are like, oh, we need veterans in the postseason. They're going to help us. They're going to help us in these games. And then, you know, they get behind early on in their series. And then, oh, all of a sudden, yeah, maybe we'll give cold coffee a shot. And then, oh my God, he's lighting it up. And you, you just, you run with it. And yeah, I can totally see how like the success of like teams like the Islanders, teams like Ottawa, or Ottawa teams like Montreal and, um, even like Vegas to a certain extent, right? Like Vegas doesn't have, you know, they have some good names on the back end in like Tador and Petrangelo, but, and they got Mark Stone up front and Pacioretty, but they don't have a lot of that like dynamic game breaking talent that you see on, on many of these top, top clubs. Right. And I think like, yeah, like to your point, I think you, for just from a pure chaos standpoint, I think a lot of teams this <laughs> off season could look at the, that situation and say, Oh man, like that could that could totally be us. That could totally be us. We just added the, the right piece and you know, catch catch lightning in a bottle. But I think like, you know, if if you're building a team 
you're trying to build for the biggest competitive window that you have, right? You're not you're not going for a flash in the flash in the pan. Like I think Ottawa, when they've had success in the last like ten years, it has been that flash in the pan. You know, you had the Hamburglar run, you had that run in 2017, where the organization decided to rebuild in 2018. Like you know, you want to have that sustainable window. You want to have that like six to six to seven eight year window where it's like okay, that's 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 what we want to do. That that. We'll give ourselves the best odds that we can during that window. And if it happens, great. And if it doesn't, we try. We give it our best shot. And I think, you know, if you look at hockey, like hockey is incredibly difficult to win. I think there's so much variance in the games. Um, good teams lose all the time. You look at teams like Ottawa in the early 2000s. You look at Vancouver. Um, God, who else? Like, there's just been some really... Well, Tampa was there uh, up until last year, right? Like, there's just so many good organizations uh, over the past number of years that just never reached the pinnacle of the sport. And that was the Stanley Cup. And you can't... <laughs> if you're a really good team, I, I feel this is where, like, teams get knocked quite a bit because they, like, they didn't win. But it's, like, it's so hard to win a Stanley Cup that, like... If you're great for like ten years or eight years or whatever, then you have a really good long window. Like I, I still think that's really impressive in the in the sport. And you know, if you don't get the ultimate glory, I, it sucks. But it's like you still you still did a lot of good. And I don't think yeah. you can, I don't think you should just write that off as being like a failure to or the failure to like reach the crowning achievement. Like I, I look back at those like early 2000 senators teams with, you know, like that was some of the best hockey that I've ever watched in the city. And, you know, they, you carry that kind of with you. Um, at least I have for like the last like 20 years or almost close to 20 years. Right. Well, even, even thinking about the 2017 run, we yeah. all think about that as if like it was the, one of the greatest moments in Ottawa history. And, you know, to be fair, it kind of is. Yeah. Other sure. than the Stanley cup run. But and Eric Carlson's you performance get, too, right? Like you, yeah. you're always going to talk about that being like, that's probably the greatest individual sporting performance we've seen in Ottawa in like the last however many years, it was right? Like, oddly. Yeah. He got a Conn Smythe vote. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> wild. He yeah. didn't even go to the... <laughs> it, it, it's it's so impressive. And and I think you you bring up a really good point of, you know, once you, 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 ca- you might catch lightning in a bottle, but it's those moments that, that, keep fans coming back and you know if your team consistently goes to the second round yeah you're 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 not doing what you're hoping to do but you, like you're giving the fans something to enjoy um yes there's going to be heartbreak but you're going to keep doing it for for years to come and they're going to keep coming back and they're going to have faith in you as an organization Oh, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, to a broader point too, I think it, it's it's fun at the trade deadline when like teams go from like making splashy deals. You know, you mentioned Taylor Hall earlier. It's like teams were afraid of picking that guy up for like a second round pick or a first round pick. And it's just, like, <laughs> like Toronto could have used him, you know? And, but instead they went for Nick Foligno. <laughs> right, right. And it's just like, you know, if, if teams follow the New York Islanders model, where like they're not afraid to go out and make a splash because you know like fuck it we're gonna go for it we're gonna, we're actually yeah. gonna we're gonna I don't mind that like I don't mind team teams pushing their chips in like the Remember Islanders when saw Columbus did it yeah like well, that was amazing different kind of window though right you're like yeah. oh, this not that good they shouldn't be doing that and they're like going for it <laughs> I, I had total reservations about the Islanders back when they made the Pajot trade you know yeah. like I was thinking like oh god maybe Ottawa should have asked for their, their 2021 pick and then obviously in retrospect like it worked out for Ottawa they got. They got a, probably got a higher pick than what uh, what will happen this year, but like 
it's just one of those situations where it's like you want teams... If a team has a short window, yeah, you might as well just go for it because that's your shot. You only get so many, right? And then it's someone else's problem in a couple of years when you get fired as general manager. So why not take a shot? There's nothing wrong with taking a shot as long as you can support the argument that you did, you know, that it, it was the right decision. And it, it's, it's an interesting point too that, you know, how long is Pierre Dorian's leash when, when will he need to make the Stanley Cup playoffs again? That's um, a good question because I don't know. Like we talked about hiring. Like, yeah. If, if Pierre Dorian, I think there's a lot of pressure on him. I, I don't envy the position he's in working for Melnick. I, I, I'm sure the pressures of the job are just incredible. And we probably will never really understand what they are and how big they are and, and, and what have you. But I think like starting this year, um, just based off what the owner said on McCown's show, like if they're actually looking to add a center and a top four defenseman, um, I, the pressure is going to start this year. Like you can only stay at the bottom of the standings for so long before something has to change. But in saying that, like if the pressure ramps up on DJ Smith, yeah, there's Troy Mann who's waiting in the wings, or there's Jack Capilano who's on the bench right now. Um, but with, if Pierre Dorian goes, I have no idea how you're going to replace him. Right? Like here's a guy who's an assistant. You know, he was a chief scout, became an AGM, um, transitioned to the general manager's general manager's role when Brian Murray. Uh, had to step away because of his illness. And if, if Pierre Dorian goes, like he's a guy who, this is his childhood dream. It's his hometown team that he's the general manager of. And I don't think a lot of people have that opportunity ever. And, you know, for him to have that role, if he leaves, I have no idea who replaces him. Not a clue. Probably, uh, probably Trent man, <laughs> the internal hire. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting off season. That's for sure. And, you know, but with, that's good. With every, oh, that's absolutely. awesome. Like, I, I, I think that's what makes it fun being a hockey fan. Because I think one of the things that I've tried to press on, on people is that, like, we don't know how good the organization's process is. You have no idea what these play, what these people like. I think if you look back at this, uh, the offseason that Pierre Dorian had, you know, like, yeah, he brought in a lot of young talent that slowly made his way into the lineup, but it took a while for that to happen. And most of the guys that he brought in last summer, regardless of how much leadership or how much character or how hard they played, they were terrible players. And I think if you, to a man, like with the exception of Artie Zoo, they were not good. I, I think all those, tr- I think all those signings and trades you probably characterize as bombs with the exception of like Coburn and stuff, because they got a second round pick for taking on those players, but they played the hell out of those players while they were here. So um, I think if you head into the Saucy, I think it's super exciting because you might have an opportunity to evaluate how good Ottawa's process is now and whether they've learned from their mistakes or, or, or what have you. And I think just from that, you know, I'm always kind of assessing trades and, and, and what the organization's doing. I just think just being able to sit back and watch what they're going to do, I think that's kind of exciting. I just really want to see how, if the process has changed, if they learned anything. Um, apparently, they're incorporating sport logic data uh, in some of what they're doing now, which I think is awesome and really encouraging, uh, even if they are a bit behind the ball in regards to you know many of their peers. But I think like they are doing some things that I think are encouraging and, and exciting and you know, you want to see things get, you want to see things get better as a fan and as someone who follows the team, you want to see things improve. You want this team to have success. So um, hopefully this summer, it'll give us a more insight into, into whether this, this group is right there presently um, will be able to. Now, speaking of the summer, if you're the Sens, do you hang on to that 10th 
or do you use it in some sort of trade to improve the team? I think you have to keep it um, personally. Um, yeah, I like realistically, aside from Jake Sanderson, um, there's nothing really in the farm system right now that screams like good high end talent. Uh, maybe Sokolov can get there. Um, maybe uh, Ridley Grieg uh, will play up the lineup. But I mean, like he's another guy who's projected to be like a bottom third line player, probably. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of value uh, in having like hard edged third line players who can play at both ends of the ice and, and contribute offensively. I think there's a lot of value there, but um, you need dynamic talent at the top of your lineup. And I think, you know, this is, this is a year where there's a lot of fluidity. I was talking to Scott Wheeler for a podcast that I have to edit post on my site. I think there's just like, there's no real consensus. There's no real industry consensus on where guys are going to slot this year. And I think, that's great because it could afford a team like Ottawa the opportunity to draft someone who might not have been available during a normal year. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully they did their due diligence and, um, they, they have a couple guys in mind who can, who can do that for the organization. But I think like in years past, they've they tended to like go for those like safe floor players, uh, as opposed to like dynamic high end talent. And I think they have enough depth in the system where they can start targeting some, some of those more like risky high end picks and, and hopefully they start doing that. But, um, to me, I, I keep the pick 100%. All right. No issues with that. I was just curious. <laughs> uh, well, we really appreciate you joining us today, Graham. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it was great to get your opinion on different things because I, I was actually, before I reached out to you, I was like, why the hell have I not reached out to Graham? <laughs> it was, <laughs> I was like, it's been so long. But uh, no, I'm really happy you could make it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great getting to talk to you. So uh, do you have anything you want to plug? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Uh, I got a podcast coming out uh, talking the 2021 NHL draft with Scott Wither. I got, hopefully, I can start editing uh, tonight and then have a drop in the next day or two. But uh, aside from that, uh, just check out the Roman Day blog. It's, you can find the link off my uh, Twitter profile at Six Sense. Um, really appreciate you guys having me. Uh, anytime you guys need me, uh, I'm more than happy to come on. You guys are awesome, enthusiastic. <laughs> Love talking sense hockey, especially on uh, you know late June when you're not anticipating anything going on, right? So it's just it's it's fun to talk hockey, and it's just a sense of normalcy during this pandemic where it's like you can actually do stuff and socialize a little bit. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and you get me away from uh, some parental duties as well. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, you have a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Graham. It was it was a blast. I had a lot of fun. So uh, thanks so much for for joining us tonight. Yeah. No. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> yeah. Have a good one. Yeah. Perfect. Take care, guys. Night. Cheers.